Hello and welcome to In The Game, Qatar's first sports podcast. And as always, we've got a special, special, special guest on today. And I'm really excited about this one because I love the service industry. And this guy is absolutely fantastic when it comes to that type of stuff. And he's just gone on, he's built on that platform. So Hugo, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, could you please tell us a little bit, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself and what you've done over these years? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, really excited to, to join you today. Um, yeah, I mean, wh where to start, really? I, I've, I've kind of always been in the, the football industry since I was a kid and, uh, yeah, did an American degree out in a, a business degree out in America where I was coaching and I always kind of thought that would be my priority. And then uh, my first job out of uni, you know, I think a lot of people have probably been there, graduated, struggling to find a job. And uh, I got my first job out in the States in a second division startup team called Indy 11, uh, where I was doing my um, doing team operations. And that was kind of the first time I'd really done that for a professional team. And it was a brand new team, just started, you know, we had no staff when I started and, and no players and all of that. And we just kind of get to see the formation of a club, which is something you don't get to see in Europe. And um, really, really fun experience. And, and then joined Southampton for three and a half years as their first player liaison officer. So, um, you know, when we talk about player care, we're talking about everything that's kind of not football and medical. So player relocations, um, it could be commercial activations, team communications, um, all these family projects, all these kind of different things that are around the players. And then was lucky enough to be approached by West Ham to head up their player care department for the last two and a half years. Um, I left in December 2020 uh, to start the player care group, which is where I'm now. So I'm a consulting consultant within uh, organ sporting organizations around the world, trying to improve what they've got internally or start something from scratch. And I also run education programs for people wanting to get into the industry. So um, that's probably about my 45 second elevator pitch there for you. But uh, yeah, I hope that sort of covers as, as much as you need. Do you ever like elevator pitches? I cannot, of all the places, I can't stand those things. I, can, I, I just can't stand. And I know that they're so important, but I want to I wanna take you back to the very beginning because you've got a wonderful story. You know, I've, I've tried to get as much research done, do as much research on you as possible. And, yeah. and I love what you've done. As I said, you've, you've been from a service industry, but you've loved sport. You've yeah. loved, and, but you're never afraid of anything. Well, I mean, I think everyone's afraid of something. I think I'm someone who likes to push boundaries of what's been done before and then kind of question why we're doing things. And I think that was an industry that I came into was a very uh, reactive industry where you're dealing with problems as they arrive. And, and what I've tried to do is try and push certainly what we did at West Ham to be more proactive, where you're trying to get ahead of things, prevent problems from occurring rather than solving them as they come up. And I think, you know, that's a valuable position to be in whether you're in sport or outside of sport is is it's much easier to prevent problems from happening than, than solving them afterwards and you know once you have the process and policies in, pay, in place it actually reduces your workload long term because you're not having to deal with sort of firefighting so um there will obviously occasionally be things that pop up but i think it's really important to get to that um proactive approach which is difficult to get unless you have the right resources behind you I, I, I really agree. I'm, I'm going to, uh, again, I'm going to take you right back to the beginning. When you were at school, yeah. what, how did you get, you love sport, but how did, what, what made you go in your directions that you took? Yeah, I mean, I, I my family never liked football. So um, I was the, the, the sort of the weirdo in the family where I would talk about football and read the magazines and all that. And my parents never, never in pop, never enjoyed it or never into it. So I kind of got into it through my friends and I'd also play, you know, like, 
computer games, football manager, that kind of stuff, watch all the TV, uh, read the, read all the, the articles I could. And it was one of the teachers at, at school when I was about probably 16 said, why don't you do your coaching badges if you like the sport so much? You know, I was never a player. So they were like, I was like, sure. So he sorted it out for me and I did it. And then they gave me a, one of the under 14 teams at the school. So I must have been like 17. So that was a really cool experience getting to coach sort of kids at my own school. And then um, I coached my own age group later that year. And that was much more of a challenge because you're, it, it was the first time I kind of had to manage up in terms of managing people who are more senior or the same age as me. And I think that was one of the best life lessons I've ever worked with because when I went to Southampton, I was 23. Um, you know, one of the younger people in the squad, you know, if you had Adam as a squad member, there probably wouldn't be many players younger than me. So again, you're having to deal with players who are 15 years older than you and, and get their respect. And I think that's, you know, a massively challenging thing you can do, especially when you're really young, is to try and gain that respect from people who are, you know, 10, 15 years older than you, if not more. And, and that was a one subject, and you've triggered it for me, is, is respect. When yeah. you first started this off and you had all these things that you were getting involved in and you were dealing with, um, you were coming to be a coach, how tough was that to try to get the respect and and what was those things that 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 you thought ah that worked what yeah. were those, those things that you looked at and go i've got something here yeah i i think everyone has a, a feeling of imposter syndrome and i know i still do now you know and i think it, it's it's strange because my job is literally to tell people show people how to be player care better and even at times i'm like am i do i really know what i'm talking about you know and yeah i i, I don't know everything of course but i know you know a good amount and I think you know I had that when I was 17 starting to coach and I have that now I'm 30 and running my own business so I, I think I think you're always going to have that I think as long as you can work harder than other people and you can look at things differently then I think that's a really key skill to have so even if I'm talking about the under 14 team that I coached you know a lot of the other coaches you know it's where I did the fourth team for the D team so it's kind of you know the A's B's C's D's and so we're quite a low level group, you know, people who like football, but didn't really care that much. And so, but I was, a lot of the teachers were like teachers who'd been basically forced into doing it as part of their, their school contract. So weren't really passionate coaches. So I went there with, you know, session plans and ideas and we had team bonding and we had all this. And we actually ended up beating the team above us, even though they could take all our best players because we had such a nice little unit. We had like, I, you know, even little things like email updates, top goal scorer list, player of the season, pizza party, all this kind of stuff. And I think that was probably the, one of the first times I started to realise about the off-the-field difference that my work can do. Because the other coaches were, you know, they were not, not bad people, but they were teachers, they weren't coaches. And so this wasn't their passion. They'd show up, do the hour and a half they needed to do and, and, and go back to maths or whatever it was. And so for me, that was my difference, is that I was so excited to look at everything we could do differently. And that's where I think we got that that difference because you got people to buy in, and it's not just about talent; it's got to be about motivating and how you keep people motivated. Because there are a hugely you're know, a huge number of very talented people who just aren't motivated. So you know you can't get the best out of them, and it's hard for them to get the best out of themselves as well. And that's 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 when you become. It's not just a trainer; you become a leader because that's mm -hmm. what you've got to do. You've got to get the best out of them, and I, I think that shows up so much in in the UK football when Leicester, particularly, won the won the um, when the Premiership, is that they didn't have the best team, but they brought them together. And it sounds just like you did with your team um, when you beat the the one above you. Um, yeah, not sure it, I can quite compare those those sort of <laughs> levels of but, achievement, but, but I get you. I get you. Definitely get but the you know what yeah. I mean. It's it's like yeah, yeah. and and. And I get this in business where, where um, 
I don't not, and this has been all over my life, right? Is that I haven't been naturally gifted. It's never been a natural for me, but it's yeah. the enthusiasm. It's the passion. It's the drive. It's the, the, the kind of determination when you say, Hey, listen, I'm going to have to get up three hours, four hours before this guy, because yeah. otherwise he's going to beat me. Otherwise I'm not going to give it my best. And I've got people relying on me. That sounds like you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think certainly at the start of my career, I mean, I was, I was, Throughout uni, I didn't, you know, I, I was coaching two football teams. I coached the men's team. I coached the girls' team at local high school. I got involved in all the sort of student activities I could. American University was very good for sort of student activities. I, over, you know, brought together all the different student-run sports, you know, consolidated our budget. We had like a $400,000 budget, which for a 20, what, 20 year olds running that kind of budget was an incredible experience. But again, what I like to do is look at things differently and, and look at the problems. And, you know, everyone said, oh, well, you know, we never had any medical support and this was at university. So I was like, right, well, let's consolidate all our budgets and let's get that as a lobbying body of a thousand students. We've got so much more power than if we go as, you know, club soccer and rugby and hockey and, and cricket and rounders and all these other different sports. We went, came together and then they were like, yeah, of course, you know, if a thousand students want this, of course we do it. And that had been a problem for 30 years before. But, it, you know, in a, in a year we managed to fix it just by thinking about things differently. And I think player care was so open to disruption and, and I didn't even really realize it when I started it wasn't like I was like I need to find something that I can do really well and it was I fell into a job basically where Southampton knew me from being an intern I was out in the states and they needed someone to do the role so they just asked me and it wasn't there was no like grand strategy in that part but while I was there I was like it just seems to be things aren't done they're done in like a way that doesn't seem to quite make sense and you know, one of the things I, I did quite early on was bring all the player liaisons from the different clubs together. And we did a dinner once every couple of months and, and a WhatsApp group and all this stuff. And I was like, player care isn't, isn't a scarce good. We can all look after our players really well and that'd be better for the industry rather than saying, well, if we look after them really well, then Tottenham can't. And it's not like that. So we might as well support each other, make our, each of our jobs easier by having a good support network. And that was something that hadn't really been done before in a sort of, formal capacity so for me it's always been about what else can we do what else is out there what are other people doing what is no one doing and kind of looking at that and bring it in and and being kind of i guess just go back to your earlier question to be fearless about change because i think that football can often be quite quite lazy almost because of the amount of money in the game you don't have to think efficiently because sometimes you can just go right well if it doesn't work we'll spend another 50 million pounds on another player because he didn't work out well no let's what have we exhausted all our options in getting the best out of that player before we sort of consign them to the transfer scrap heap you know so i think there's a lot of different things that that, that we are able to do as a consultancy but also what i've done personally in, in my past as well i i love it because this is what you keep on saying to startups in business and I, what i love about sports is that there's such a fine line between an athlete and a businessman and yeah. what you've got to go through um, I'm going to take you back to interns because I, I, I think interns and it's going to fit in nicely. I'm hoping um, internships. How important was that for you? hundred. I mean, a million percent because, you know, I, I proved my, well, proved myself. I was at Southampton for like two weeks as an intern in the academy. And, you know, the funny thing is that I'm, I, I tried to make an impression when I was there and tried to be remembered, tried to stand out. And, and a lot of interns, go the opposite way. They're like, I don't want to get, I don't want to be a bump in the road. I don't want to be, you know, not causing problems, but I, I want to just get on with my job and keep my head down. And I, that's never really been me and not in a negative way, but just, 
I remember there was, we had to do like initiation songs as, as an intern and I stood up and I did the loudest song and I had like a dance and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't anything that I would be like, oh, you should definitely do that as, you know, to get into player care. But the idea was that everybody remembered that song. And then still, if you ask those players, so a number of them are playing in the Premier League now, they'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember which song you sang. I remember that. Now, what happened was when, when I left Southampton, people assumed I'd been there for a year and I'd been there for two weeks. Yeah. And so you're memorable in the fact that, oh yeah, who was that intern? That Hugo, yeah, it was interesting. Okay, a bit, bit different. Yeah, okay, fine. And then, but when a job came up, Southampton didn't recruit publicly. They didn't go to anyone else. They basically said, oh, I remember that guy, Hugo, he'd be great for this. And so had I not gone to that internship at Southampton, had I not stood on the chair and sung a song, had I not made myself memorable, had I not stayed in touch with people, I think that's another key, is not just to do the initial meeting, but stay in touch with people. And had I not done all of that, I probably wouldn't be sat here right now. I'd probably be working for my parents on their farm. So like, you know, it's, it's a very different path to take, but I think it's one thing to make an initial impression. And, and the one thing I say to young people is, is keep in touch. You know, I, I've done seminars at university to a hundred people and I'd say, you know, I bet you 50 of you will come and wait and speak to me at the end. 10 of you will email me afterwards and two of you, I will still know your name in a year's time. And I would say that's probably even generous. I would think it's probably less than that. But then I get an email five years later saying, hi, I heard you speak in 2014. I've applied for a job with you. Can you help me out? And I'm like, no memory of this person whatsoever not because i'm don't I'm bad that bad with names but it's just there are so many people you come into in contact with your life whereas the one person who every three or four months gets in contact oh hugo i've seen this has happened at west ham or southampton or this is happening that's really exciting you remember that person and then when something comes up you go got the best person for you it's this guy speak to them or whatever so you know it's not only doing the internships is important but staying in touch and staying relevant is, is really important but not to an excess where it's like every week you know emailing again you know that there's definitely a fine line on that one. Oh my word and it, uh, and it is a fine line but that's that's i suppose we come from different backgrounds i was in the catering and it was knowing when to go into a table and when to go out of a table you, you yeah. when you were going into somebody you could tell whether somebody wanted to interact or you could tell that yeah. they they, they didn't want you. So that was the, the fine line. And sales, because I think customer service um, is, is the biggest sales, sales monster out there. If you can do great customer service, you'll never worry about sales because it'll be a natural extension. Um, now, with, with and, and I'm, I'm going to go back to this, this internship because what made you, were you the type of person that got up on chairs when before this? You know, you had two, a, and that's what I want people to understand. You had a two-week opportunity and one of the biggest things that people remember you was standing up on that chair. Mm. How difficult was it to do that? Did it just go, you've just got to do it. You've just feel the fear and do it anyway. You know what? I, I would say in schools so of doing my like GCSEs or like when I was sort of 14, 15, 16, I was pretty forgettable. And I think, you know, I was very average, very middle of the road, didn't really excel in anything, a bit of like a computer nerd. And like, you know, we would often just sort of sit inside and not really, I wasn't very social. And the football certainly helped me gain confidence in terms of, of talking to people and being out there. But I think the biggest thing I did was, was when I was 18, I went to university in America and I picked a university that I knew nobody there. I didn't have anyone from my school going, no one from my school had gone before. And I was like, I'm going to reinvent myself. And it was a really conscious decision to go to America and be, I am going to say yes to, if I'm invited to anything, I'm going to say yes. Because before it'd always be, oh, I know I don't fancy that or whatever. I'm going to say yes. If I get invited to go, shooting at a gun range i'm gonna go do that if i get invited to political 
you know, to canvas for a political candidate, even if I don't really know who they are, sure, this party, this thing, whatever it is. And I then became a, a big people person, not because it was who I was, it was because it was who I forced myself to be. And I would say, and, I, and, and it's kind of a weird thing to be able to say about yourself, but I would say, you know, my, my university of 25,000 students, I would say in terms of students who are known, I would say I was probably in top 10 in the university. Like if you poll like, a, you know, people who, who, who do you know, who have you heard of? I was probably top 10. Now, maybe that's a positive, maybe that's a negative, but that's, you know, my personal brand has always been something I've worked on throughout my career. And, you know, it's certainly upset people at times for various clubs I've worked at. And, you know, there are times where I keep it more down, but now obviously because I'm running my own business, it's, it's much more ramped up, but it's, it's a, it, I'm not saying it's natural for me. I still get nervous when I go into a room of people I don't know. And I'm someone who I can speak in front of 500 people, no problem at all. But if you said to me, go mingle in a room where someone else is going to talk later, I'd have, you know, I'd have a nightmare. I'd have really, really dislike that, that small talk. But again, you know, like, for example, this weekend, I was invited to a birthday party, a birthday dinner. And I didn't know, I only knew one person there, the birthday guy. And I was like, this will be a great experience for me to push myself to go and small talk with people I've never met. And I did it. And it was wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. So even now, you know, with all my experience, I still like to push myself into things that I don't like doing. And I think that's what you can do. But sometimes it's so it's much better to get a fresh start because you don't get, oh, you've changed. What's happened to you? No, go to get a fresh start. Go be someone who you want to be. And sometimes it's just about saying to yourself, I want to be that new person before you go and you can go and do that. I've had some wonderful experiences. The, the army was was exactly what you're talking about, where you had to go and you had to be somebody that you possibly weren't. Um, and you had to do things that you 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 just weren't the set that you you weren't that person, but it was a, it was a, it was needed at the time. And again, uh, I I think that there was one instructor that said to me at, at the time, it's feel the fear and do it. If you feel that that feeling in your stomach and you you think it's something that you can't do, just just take the step and go and do it because yeah. you'll be surprised at the the, the results. You yeah. you don't know, and if if you don't do it, you you're never going to know. And another one was door to door that I'd, I'd done it for, for many years. I'd done it for eight, eight years. And again, that was one of those that if you want something to mess with your head, that was the time you, you kind of, you had to really put out of your mind, the people that was going to tell you no today and that no was going to be a good answer. If yeah. you had all the others, it was a, a nightmare, but you found 10 people, like you said, 10%, you found 10 uh, you found 10 people that were going to buy off you that day and that was a survival and that was a way and you never let anybody else affect your your um uh, if there was many people that would say oh you're not going to make it and you must have had those people your your family did they ever say to you hugo come on back come back to the family business yeah definitely I mean, my, my dad's offered me jobs multiple times because you know it, it, you know at the beginning he didn't really rate what i did but then you know, as he saw me grow up, he was like, yeah, actually, this Hugo guy is not that useless. So, uh, and that's a direct quote from him. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he's, he's a South African, so he's very blunt. Um, but he, you know, like, that, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, when I when I left uni, I'd done all this great stuff at uni. I've been coaching for four or five years now. I, you know, worked all these internships. And I applied 96, I think 96 times to different jobs. Didn't hear back. And I had already moved back to the UK from uni to basically start work on the farm in about a month's time. And it was kind of already like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do and all this. And then Indy 11 kind of gave me a call out the blue. I think I'd applied like four months earlier and they just kind of going through through resumes as they call it in America. And 
they called me and I was like, sure, didn't know. And I remember the guy called me and I didn't, you know, because you've done so many applications, you don't remember everyone's name. And he was like, hey, it's Peter here. I'd like to have seen you a resume. I'd like to come interview. And I'm like, great. Which city am I coming to? And he was like, Indiana, Indianapolis. I was like, great. I'll be there in three days or whatever. And we went at dinner and he was like, yep, yeah, come, come work for me. I was like, great. Two weeks later, I moved out there. So it was it was kind of like, you know, I, I doubted my, myself. It wasn't, I'm not this guy who's been 100% confident in everything. And, you know, even going from Indy to Southampton, it was like, well, am I good enough? You know, I was 22, 23 years old, going from second division in America to Premier League. Um, you know, my first manager was Ronald Koeman, one of the greatest players of his generation. And I'm like, am, am I ready for this? Am I, am I, is, you sure you want me? And, and even at, going to West Ham, you know, I'd done it for three and a half years. I knew I was ready for a step up, but it was like, you want me to be a head of department? Like, crazy like really cool like but never managed people before and, and then you know even with the business i'm like do people really want this you know like people like my posts and all this kind of stuff but are, are they willing to give their money for something that i'm selling and the answer is yes so throughout my career i've had doubt and other people have had doubt and i think you know a lot of people who who kind of not sneer but like are like oh left west ham that's that's a strange decision that's a weird thing <laughs> why would you do that but i think I think when you look at where it, where everything ends up, I think, you know, I, I, I've been lucky in the fact, well, not lucky, lucky or, or not, I've made the right decision each time for my career. And I'm confident this is the right decision now. And um, trying to change the industry rather than change an individual club, I think is, is really interesting for me. But, you know, you said um, about the decisions that you make, and, and this is something that else I always say to a startup or, or young um, people that's just starting out. And I said, look, whatever decision you make is the right decision. Why? Yeah. Because you're gonna you're gonna make it work. Whatever decision you go through, you're gonna make it work. You're gonna you're, you're gonna push it through. Now, I I kind of an, I I've, I feel like I've known you, um, and that's the the talents that we've both got that, that we we have a conversation with each other, and then all of a sudden you you feel that you've known them all your life. <laughs> I, I want to go back a little bit, and 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 you said about your your father being really kind of he's he's from South Africa, he's blunt. How how much of a because that must have had a, as you said there was something that he said that really reminates with you for the mm. rest of your life. How important was that when you were dealing with these these young students or young football teams and 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 treating them the same way and then adding a little bit of your stuff in there too? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know my my parents are both very different, but they're both very sharp witted, very you know, willing to say what they're thinking. And it, it's not so much, a, you know, like I've got, I was one of six kids growing up. So, you know, like it, it, it's, it's kind of like a survival of the fittest within the family anyway. <laughs> so I think probably going to a football club is much easier than having a family dinner kind of thing. But um, certainly like all, all of those experiences, right? You know, I went to boarding school, which I'm fairly open about, you know, I went to boarding school. That's a tough situation to live from 13 to 18, away from your family for five years straight, basically thrown into a house with random people you've never met and make it work. And, yep. and you, you know, when you're 13, you've got boys five years older than you who are telling you to do things and all this kind of stuff and you're just like you you everything I've done in my career in my life has been building up to what I do and and I look at what the way I approached day one at Southampton and the way I would approach day one at Southampton if I went back now two very very different approaches and that's how life works you you refine your approach as you go through it it's not about having one set thing and going through the same thing and and I look at everything whether it's you know, it, it could be an experience, you know, a work experience thing. I worked on a, I worked on the British barbecue championships for one summer. Didn't even know Britain had a barbecue <laughs> championship. 
But I, volu- I, well, I volunteered on that for a couple of weeks. Something, again, completely different. But it was about keeping all the teams happy. The teams, were, what I realised now is those teams are just like drunk guys, basically, who are like, let's go barbecue for a weekend. But I was treating them, I was told, like, this is the best team in England. And I was like, no, they weren't professionals. You know, they were just guys who enjoyed barbecuing. But treating them, like, with respect and all this kind of stuff and getting to make sure everything's ready, they had their tools ready, they were getting this dropped off the day before, make sure everything's ready for them. And I think that's the same, whether it's the British Barbecue Championships or it's the Premier League, it's about making sure that you, you can adapt to whatever that person needs and understanding that person, what are their priorities? Because the day, if when you're in this, a service type, type function like this, it's about letting them have, get whatever they need to, to focus on their craft. And that's what the club or the organization is paying them all the money for is to succeed so it's your job to help them succeed and i think whether yeah whether it's the barbecue championships or the premier league there's there's very similar things that run between run between them the great thing i'm getting through from you is is it that you hear so many times sometimes where people said oh yeah you were lucky but you've been lucky quite a few times it's like you went to the states you all of a sudden made you carved out an, a, a kind of a really great reputation with yourself but you, it never stopped there. And, it, and we're going to come back to West Ham in Southampton. But you never stopped there. You then went on and you were doing stuff in the States, in NASCAR. How did that come about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I, you know, I think, you know, you, yeah, you sometimes need to get lucky and you need to be remembered by the right person, meet the right person at the right time, you know. But I think you also, people don't see the hard work that goes on in the background. You know, of like, oh, I, I would say, you know, people are like, oh, you're... Eight years into your sports career i disagree my sports career started the day i did my coaching badge you know when i was 16 and so it's really the 14th year of my coaching of my sports career um and so i i look at it you know all the stuff i gave up and sacrificed in terms of time mostly at university i wouldn't go out partying and drinking i would go out you know coaching or we would have a game at 12 p.m on the saturday morning and get everyone ready and up and dressed and not dressed but like you know prepared and everything like that that was my weekend. That My weekend was not partying like a lot of the kids at uni. So, you know, I, I think it's taken a long time to do that. But, yeah, you, you know, I worked on two Indianapolis 500s, which was, a, again, a fantastic experience. And that was in my kind of just say yes period where it kind of the opportunity arose. And I was like, great. The big, you know, it's the greatest spectacle in racing. There's 400,000 people live there, 33 cars, one and a half million dollar prize check. Why not give it a go? And, and it's brilliant, you know, and I think... But you hustle for those things. You 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 know you get them and you take the opportunity. And you make sure you're invited back. And I think that's that's the kind of my message is just just say yes. It's it exactly and and that's what I love about. And I, I knew that you were going to be a special guest. I knew you were going to be a special guest as soon as I I started um, listening to you and watching stuff because I've been watching you on LinkedIn and LinkedIn is so important. I know we both do lots of work on LinkedIn. But it was just, it's like, there is no lucky. You just have to work hard. And I keep on saying to kids, I keep on saying to them, I say, because sometimes um, people say, ah, yeah, I'm in the Middle East, right? So people look up and say, yeah, you're lucky. You're you're white. You're kind of, you're from the UK. Yeah, Yeah. that's okay. I I might get some privilege in those for the first meeting. But if I don't work my backside off, then I'm not going to get anywhere, whatever color I am. It's it's like it's all about. And, and where I say to you about you being lucky, you were not lucky. You just went out and took every opportunity and, and worked your backside off for it. And you got notice for it. And I keep on saying to these kids now and I keep on saying, please, please, please doesn't matter what situation you're getting. Somebody's going to notice if you're special. 
Yeah. But you've got to make the effort to be special. If you make the effort to be special, I guarantee you somebody's going to pick you up. And you're perfect for that. You, mm. You've pushed to every stage. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, good case in point, I had two students from the Middle East message me about six months ago with a solution to a problem I didn't know I had. And they were like, well, basically, like, what work do you do in the Middle East? I was like, nothing. I have no contacts out there. There's nothing I do in the Middle East with football clubs. And they're like, well, tell you what, how about you let us try and sell, you know, your services into some clubs? And I was like, sure. I, I mean, I've got nothing to lose. I've got, I have no connections out there. So they've come to me, instead of just saying, I want to ask you for your time, or I want this, or I want that. They come to me and say, here's a problem that I think you might have. And here's a solution. Can I, can I, can I make that solution happen for you? And it's like, no skin off my nose, you know, like, great, absolutely. So these two kids, they are, whatever they're doing, you know, they're trying to make connections with the Middle East. Brilliant. Don't let them be in Qatar, Hugo, because that's where I'm going to talk to you afterwards because okay. I, I, I think there's a good place. So keep them away from Qatar, okay? <laughs> so so when you, you've moved to – so you were in the States. What happened when you came back to West Ham and what feeling was that like? Well, yeah, I mean, my first stop was obviously Southampton. So it was it was kind of coming in and it was middle of the, well, it was like October. So it was about three months since the beginning of the season. And it was kind of like, I was just like, I hadn't lived in the UK for five years. And suddenly I'm about trying to help these players settle in. Like, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, like I'd never, you know, I was at school and I was at uni in America. I'd never really done a tenancy agreement or any of the stuff I'm supposed to be helping them with. So for me, it was a lot of trying to get my feet as quickly as possible. Um... But the, the club had never had anything in my role before. So it wasn't like I was replacing someone who was excellent and it was like, oh, well, who's this guy? Because it was nothing they'd had before, it was a, like an added service. It gave me the time to get my feet under, you know, under myself and grow the role. And then the players' expectations grew as well. So, you know, but it's tough because I had like a weird, like hybrid American English accent and people are like, are you English? Are you American? What are you, you know, what are you kind of doing? Um, I had to stop saying like soccer and bleachers and pinnies and all the stuff I'd had to say for five years when I was in America. Um, but you know what, they, they, it's about just trying to find, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm being dropped into a group who are quite close knit as an outsider and trying to become an insider. And I think what I try to do is just trying to look at who are the leaders in the group, who are the outsides of the group. And I actually kind of trying to find sort of examples of both where I try and sort of pick on a guy maybe who wasn't getting the help he needed and say, hey, what's the biggest problem you've got right now? And I think it was a driver's license or something. Couldn't get his driver's license renewed or exchanged or whatever it was. And I did it within like four hours because I just, you know, that was my focus. And he was like, wow, I've been trying to do that for months. And he was like, okay, he gets his wallet out. Like, you know, what do I owe you? And I was like, no, 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 I'm paid by the club. Just go into the changing room and say quite loudly, wow, Hugo was really helpful. Thank you, Hugo. <laughs> and and that, genuinely, that's what he did. Uh, and then I was like, oh, what's that? Okay, can you help me with this? And then, and then boom, 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 boom. And then again, it goes around, oh yeah, I actually gave him something that really helped. And then it just, the floodgates opened. And I think that's where... It was about trying to build those relationships, and you 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 get the odd guy. You there will always be players who don't don't relate to you or not interested in what you do. There are others who are really reliant on what you do. That's absolutely fine. It's not. I'm not trying to be. You know, I don't need to be everyone's best friend, and I'm not trying to be anyone's friend really. It's about providing a service. If someone thinks they don't need me, then that's great. I'll always be there to help if needed, but I don't need them to need me almost. So, um, yeah, and and. By the time I left there, we had some really, really fantastic relationships and, and people I'll stay in touch with for life who have been really, really successful in what they do. Yeah. 
and and it's because we always again I'm I'm relating this and it's brilliant because I'm it's bringing back memories in my mind. We always yeah. say to clients, "What's your pain? Let me take the pain away." Yeah, you get on and do your job. You do brilliant at your job, and I'll take that that stuff that's that's causing you the last thing at night when you go into bed and the first thing you get up with. Let me take it away from you. You focus on what you're best at, and that's yeah. what we do. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's that's player care in a nutshell. Is you know trying to remove distractions, you know, on the pitch by by sorting everything off the pitch. So yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a no brainer. But that's so close. That, and this is what I love about the podcast is it's so close. It's so kind of, it's looking after people. It's caring about people that really makes the difference. Yeah. And it's not about, you know, how rich you are or where you come from, whatever, you know, our Premier League change room is probably one of the most diverse groups in the world. You know, where else do you get a Senegalese guy hanging out with a Japanese guy, hanging out with a Scottish guy, hanging out with this and that? It just, that's not how general society tends to work. But actually you've got such a great group of guys who all coming together for one common purpose but it's about everyone understanding each other's backgrounds and cultures and saying well maybe we need to tweak this to make it more you know accessible for these guys or maybe this is our makeup of our group now so we need to shift it like this or or how can we educate the staff you know potentially on you know a lot of the times we have a players fasting for ramadan how can we make sure that that you know we, we i remember for one of the player awards we had it was I think it was they, they were due to break their fast about 7.45, I think sundown was. And but the meal in the in the running order was scheduled at seven. So I just made sure that four four meals were brought out at 7.45, even though it's not what the running order said. So those guys could eat rather than having to sit there hungry for another two hours until the end of the meal. And it's those little adjustments you can make for people that make such a massive difference for them because they never asked for that. They didn't demand that. That was just something we did because we identified a problem. And instead of saying either you've got to sit there with a plate of food in, in front of your face for 45 minutes until it's cold and then eat, no, we'll get the chef to cook something new and it'll be, a, you know, you're doing a service for us by coming to this event. We'll make sure that at 7.46 or whenever the sun went down, you've got food. And, and, and that was, those little sort of tweaks can be really, really important. And and why you, so you've done really well. You've done, and, and I love the way that it all started to kick in for from a driving license. And then all of a sudden it just starts happening. What made you move from from Southampton? Southampton was a great team. You could have been set there for life. Could have done, yeah. And I think for me, it was it's always about pushing on to the next thing. And I, I'm not someone who could, you know, Southampton literally said to me, "You've got this job for life if you want it." And that actually scared me. And I was like, "I don't want to do this for the rest of my life." You know, like I I, I always seem to be doing better things for myself. So, you know, I love my three and a half years at Southampton. I have some great friends there. You know great relationship with everyone around the club and around the city and I you know fantastic experience but it was time for me to move on and and West Ham were looking for a head of department a head of player care the opportunity to start my own department at Southampton I'd kind of been a one-man band and you know West Ham is arguably a bigger club and and it was in London and it was you know there was more resources behind it so I was like let's do it and, and again it was going from a very two very different clubs Southampton's a very you know friendly you know <laughs> new forest kind of you know very family orientated club west ham is different it's a you know it's a big old-fashioned east london working man's club and so the expectations are different the atmosphere is different the, the pressures are different the owners are different and so everything was a new challenge but absolutely loved it and it was the kind of mental challenge that i needed and it went from being the guy who solved all the problems to the guy who was deciding how the problems would be solved and preventing them from happening. So again, it went from a 
sort of reactionary process, which is kind of what we had to have at Southampton because of it was just me, to then be able to put in a proactive people. You know, we, we got two new staff in. I handpicked them from outside the industry. I, I, I've never hired anyone from another club. I always hire people from outside the industry because I think they've got often better life experience. They've got more motivation. They want to learn, you know, how I want to do things. So I think that's important. Um, and we just absolutely smashed it. And it was a brilliant, brilliant two and a half years. Not always easy, but also what is left there now or what I left in, in December 2020 to what I inherited in March 2018 is night and day. And, and I'm really, really proud of what we achieved. I, I'm really, I, I was really pleased to listen to what you've done. And, it, and, and I love the parts where it was you had to be so secretive sometimes because mm. of the, the way that, that with the transfer market, it wasn't that it was like until they signed the contract, you had to be so careful and you had to kind of be incognito sometimes to try and get these things done for these players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I remember a time at Southampton where I'd not really thought about the whole notoriety thing. And it was a young player. It was a young, I mean, like not really even a first team player, but he'd come in and they said, look, we've got, we've got three hours we need to kill until his, his contract's ready. Can you take him, show him around Southampton? I was like, sure, didn't think about it. Went out with my Southampton FC top on, which I would wear every day at work. And we were walking around the shopping centre because he was like a young lad and showing him different, like where to go to shopping and all this kind of stuff. And someone spotted us and basically was like, that's Hugo the player liaison. He's wearing his Southampton kit. He's showing around someone who is the lad he's with. And basically all the pictures were on Twitter and, and no one recognised the kid because he was like a, a youth player from another club. But that was when I was like, oh my God, I need to be clever about this because it was just, it was too, I was too noticeable or, or, or whatever. So, you know, even for the example, I'd always have a change of clothes in my car, uh, especially at West Ham, where I'd be like, I could be doing anything. So I might need to be in home, like home clothes. That's a school term, you know, uh, civvy clothes, you know, like normal clothes. Or I always had uh, a club jacket or something with me as well. So, you know, in case I needed to, I was off and I needed to be doing something. So, you know, it, there's always, it's always about being prepared for whatever comes up, really. It's um and and at this stage and we're going to go on obviously to player care, but um what is your two, the two biggest highlights that you'll always remember for as long as you live? I think the cup final with Southampton. We we I think it was twenty seventeen. We played Man United in the um, EFL Cup final and, and sitting on the bench at Wembley, Southampton's first cup final I think since two thousand six two thousand seven and and like just what it meant to the city and we didn't win the game but it was just. 90,000 people everyone was so up for it that was absolutely fantastic and one of the hardest things I've ever done as well um in terms of the second one I don't know I mean I think there's a lot of sort of personal relationships where I've worked with a player you know done a lot of work with an individual player and they've gone on to much better things than where I was with them and really succeeded at the top level and I think you always feel some sort of not credit but like pride in that you know when someone you know I know that they were struggling to begin with and have gone on to be one of the best in the world and for me that's you know that I take a lot of pride in that but you know I, I don't know I, I, I don't I think one day when I have a chance to breathe I'll go through everything and kind of not write a book but like just kind of have a think about what I did and and and, and all the people I work with and all the things I achieved but for me now it's about looking forward and trying to say what we're doing next what's the next great moment not not what's the, the, the last moment that, that's been in the past kind of thing. And I'm going to kind of, and let me, let me kind of um, ask you one more question on this, this on the past and now the present. Um, who has been the highlight? And I don't know, don't, don't know if you're allowed to say this, but who was your, your top five players that you worked with 
I don't know. I, I, you know, like top five because you know it could be top five best players on the pitch, top five that I like the most. But I yeah, think, that you'd like the most. I, I just, I've worked with 140 different players, and and I think every single one of them, I've learned something from them. It's not so much for me about oh he was nicest or he was friendliest or whatever. I think you know. I've learned so much from 140 different players from, from, from 47 different countries or whatever it is. I, I've actually right now, I'm going through and creating a, a spreadsheet of every player I work with, what they've achieved. I think they've played in 209 finals, you know, between them, something like that, over two and a half caps. Like, really, really cool to see that. And so I don't like to pick favourites or, or, or whatever, because I think every single one I've learned something from, whether it's the, the college kid from, you know, that I worked with in Indianapolis or it could be, you know, like a Virgil van Dijk who's obviously achieved everything in, in the game pretty much. So, you know, I think everyone in between, absolutely fantastic. And yeah, some probably I won't have a beer with again, but, you know, I think most of them, you know, just learn loads from and I, I'm grateful for that. Your story is incredible. But you you had, again, you had something really successful at West Ham. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when was that moment you looked up and said, I'm going to start something myself? I, I kind of, so I... I Kind of, I think I bought the URL for the player care group in like March 2020. So just as the pandemic was kicking on, because I think I had some spare time and I was like, all right, let me just try and sort of see what would this look like and that kind of thing. But I've been thinking about it for a while. Kind of, I knew that there was a gap in the market. There's a lot of clubs and a lot of people not sure what to do with player care internally. And I get asked lots of questions, but obviously can't go work for other clubs while I'm contracted to West Ham. So it was always, you know, I can't really help you. Um and then really it just got to a point where I was just like, I think, you know, we'd done it. It was a tough, tough season with COVID, um, pushing the club through all the COVID procedures. And I got to a point in about October, I was just like, I don't know that I have the, I don't know what the motivation I would probably say is the right word to continue going on because we'd basically done a year and we'd done like, we normally do about 11 months flat, like 42 weekends a year and then get a month off. And with the COVID season, we did like 14 months in a row. I got like a two-week break, which I didn't get to leave the country for. And I was just shattered. I was still shattered when the next season started. And I kind of looked at that next season. I thought, I'm not sure that I can really push myself through this. And I was looking at like, what's, what's, the, what's the kind of, what do I get if I finish the season? Like, what would it mean to me? And it's like, nothing really would change. I would have the same thing on my CV, the same achievements, the same ability to, you know, go and work and, and do whatever. And so I was just like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to leave them in a good place. I'll work three months notice as per my contract. I'll make sure they have a good, you know, you know, good person replacing me and have the continuity. And I just came to an agreement with the club that I was going to go. And I think it was, it was quite a shock for them potentially, but it was what it was. And, and we left on really, really good terms. And I'm still in touch with a lot of the people there. But for me, it was, I needed to have a break, first of all, which I didn't really get because of, of the COVID restrictions changing the UK again. But that's that's fine. I did, didn't work rather than went on went away. But then got straight into this, the, the sort of the new business. And I think, you know, we've created so many things that people have really resonated with, whether it's the social media stuff, whether it's the education courses, which have been phenomenally success, successful and really personally very proud of those, or the consulting, which the clubs are getting excited about as well. So I, I think there's something about working for someone else, which is rewarding and you can have individual wins. But when you've created something from scratch and then it succeeds and someone goes, I want to pay you for that. I still get I, I still get a buzz every time someone goes, I want to pay for one of your courses or I want to do this, I want to get you as a consultant because I'm like, oh, well, 
thank you. You know, it, it's like I take it personally. It's like, oh, that's really nice. And like, I probably will get over that point at some point. But at the moment, it, it's great. I, I really get a reward of every single person who sends a nice message or likes or follows or subscribes or joins my course or whatever it is. I, I really get a real buzz out of every single one. I've, I've taken pleasure in watching your progress because it, mm -hmm. I, I look at it, all your courses are sold out. Um, and what you're doing and how you're making a difference in, in multiple, multiple areas, it's, it's incredible. And I know that I use these big words, but it is incredible what you've achieved in, in a very, in a short space of time with your new business. You're doing remarkable things and, and it, it looks like the world's your oyster. It looks like you're, you're going to be massive. Well, but, but that's not my goal. My goal is not really to be the biggest ever. It's to be, to add real value to the people that I interact with. And I think, you know, I did the courses because I wanted to help people who wanted to get into the industry. And we've, we've got a couple of success stories coming up soon where people have been working nowhere and then done the course and now got a job in a Premier League club. And that, that for me is massive. When I get that wow. phone call from a student who's just like, thank you so much. I wouldn't have done it. And we just try and do value add. You know, we do alumni group forever you know where we do meet up we've got a meet up on friday actually for the students you know it'll be free for them they come on down get to have a chat or go buy them a beer you know we have monthly speakers where they you know get to meet people i send them job opportunities because i want them to succeed it's not about what can i charge them for extra what can i get them for the price of the course is the price of the course but i don't think you'll find anything better value because that's what i've tried to make it is where it's a community. It's a family. I really care about every student. I want them to see their goals. Some of them don't want to work and play again. Absolutely fine. Some of them do, some of them will, some of them won't. But it's it's about trying to find every every person that interacts with me. I want them to go, that was brilliant. That was such good value for money. And I'd rather earn less money and have better reputation than try and squeeze every penny out of it. Because you can in football. I could put my prices at £500,000 an hour and probably someone would pay it but I would feel guilty about that. I wouldn't think they were getting value for money. So I put my prices at what they are to make sure that people get value for money. And that for me is more important than having a massive company. I'm happy being a one man band. If I want to take a month off and I want to shut my company down and go traveling, I will because I can, because I have that flexibility and I have that freedom. And for me, that's as, that's as important as any sort of, you know, financial success. I, I, I love, I could listen to you for, for I, I, I could just sit and listen to you for hours because you're just, and, and really when I, when I, I'm going to give my business partner this, this tape and um, uh, this tape, this recording, and I'm going to say, just listen to this guy. Tell me if you, you, you know, somebody that's close to him um, because I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm in awe with, with what you've, you've achieved. And it, it gives me great pleasure because that's what I've always tried to do. I've always tried to do exactly what you've done. And, and it, you can make it. You can, I, I tell anybody that I come into contact with, don't you worry. You can do whatever you want to do. You've just got to work as hard as you possibly can. And from time to time, you've got to stand on that chair and sing as loud as you possibly can. Yeah, indeed. And I think... You know, that's what I want to try and give people is, is the, the knowledge to be able to go and apply for jobs better or, or, or even change their business to help work with footballs or whatever they want to do. But actually, one of the most valuable lessons I think you can learn from, from reading my stuff or doing my courses, this isn't for me. And, and what I'd hate is I, I, I speak to a lot of people, you know, my average age of my course is actually 40 years old, which I was really surprised about. I thought it'd be all students. But really, there's a lot of people who are like middle of their career and they go, I'm not sure I want to do what I'm doing for the rest of my life. So I'm looking at something else. Now, if you're working at a big bank and you're earning six figures and you decide you want to do player care, 
And I'm like, okay, well, success in player care could be £18,000 a year living in Swansea City in Wales. Is that, are you going to be sat there on Christmas Day at work thinking, this is brilliant? Now, I'm not saying you need to love every day, but if you go, I'm going to give up everything and go and do this, and then it's not for you, that can be a quite a tough decision. So one thing is great is when people come to speak to me and they go, that sounds brilliant, but it, I'm actually going to stay with what I want to do. I really love football as a fan. So I'm just going to buy season tickets at Chelsea or something. Great. Absolutely no problem. Well, I'm going to start coaching my kid's school uh, team or whatever. Great. Absolutely. You don't have to go and want to do player care, but if you can learn something and decide, help you find your journey, your path better, then, then I think that's a success in, in, in any metric. How can people become um, more like Hugo? I don't know. Most people don't want to be more like me, to be honest. <laughs> I, 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 I must admit, I want, to, I want to tell as many people about you as possible because I, I, I think that the, the world needs people like you, um, especially in this tough time. And, and again, I'm not trying to praise you too much, but I think that what you're doing is, is just incredible. And, um, and you, you really are somebody, you are somebody special. And I, and I love your story. I love you've got no fear. You may have, but you don't. You don't let it stand in your way. You just get get and do it, and go mm. and do it, and, and believe in yourself. And 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 it can start with a a, a, a kind of helping somebody with a, a driving license, a driving license. That's how it, the journey could all begin. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think that's what you've got to try and do in any organisation when you start is, is see where can you make that first bit of impact. You know, you don't want to try and go and re reinvent the wheel on your first day. It's about what's one thing that I can achieve today. And it might be, I want to learn everyone's names in my, on my floor. Well, that's a great goal to have for day one, because that will help you day two when you know who's, who they're talking about. And so, you know, I, I think it's fine to start slow. It's fine to, you know, not really hit the ground running, but have a goal each day and try and set and try and, meet that goal um and and now i you know i'm under a lot more pressure with my consulting because i'm not going in for two years i'm going in for two weeks and so all the thing, things where i'm like oh no it's fine we can wait no day one if they're paying me they want to see something tangible by lunchtime otherwise they're going this guy's useless get rid of him so you know there is something like a quick win that i've got to find so you know if you're in a full-time role you've got that time to kind of build yourself up but i, I just think it's so important to to under promise and over deliver. And it's such a, it's such a cliche, but it's, it's really, really hard to do. You know, I, 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 I know I'm at the forefront of the industry, but I don't like to be the best. This. I don't, I don't call myself that because I want other people to think that I'm really good, not me tell everyone I'm really good. And then they're like, well, actually he's all, he's all right. Or he's not that great. Like I try and be not humble. Cause I don't think that's where you, where you would describe me, but it's about, being realistic and then if they get more than what they thought then that's brilliant but if someone gets less than what they thought they'd get they're going to be disappointed so i always think it's trying and really important to do value adds but what i like that one thing that i like most of all is you're only treating people how you want to be treated you're only doing going that extra mile because that's what you would that would be mean so much to you and yeah. and all of those things just resonate so much with me because it's the reason why i'm here today it's yeah. the reason it's, it's the reason why I've I've been quite successful in what we've done. Um, and I still like you. I'm still kind of I we've we've only just or I've only just done done this where I'm charging an hourly rate. Yeah. And I I, I I'm exactly like you. I just so am I gonna give them the right kind of information? Is it gonna be good enough? Is it gonna be value for money? 
But yeah. you go away from those meetings and they just go, wow, thank you so much indeed. And it's mm -hmm. that relationship that you take from there. Hugo, I, I kind of, uh, it, it's been a wonderful, wonderful time with you today. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that, that you shared it with, with so many people today um, because there are going to be a lot of people out there that's going to make a difference for them. Um, so thanks very much for coming on to the show. Honestly, really, thank you so much indeed. Um, I know that loads of people are going to look up and say, but what does Hugo do with his player care? Mm -hmm. Listen to the name. It's player care. He mm -hmm. will look after everybody. And it's like, and, and it's not important. It's the, the message of this is, is what you've done over your life and shared with others today. That, that's the most important. And I thank you for that because so many people that's, that's going to be listening to this are going to take a lot from it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I hope you've enjoyed it too. No, absolutely. I, I mean, your kind words really do do hit home and it's really nice to find someone that really enjoys what I'm doing. And, and you know, I've started from scratch, so it really, really means a lot. So Steve, thank you very much. And thanks to everyone who's listening and um, feel free to get in touch if uh, if it's more of interest. Please. And and the the, the key to that is, is that, that one thing I would say to you is, is it, I was joking before, but I really do want to work with you. I want to know you for the rest of my life. I know that I'm 54, but I want to know you for the rest of your life because you're the type of pe people that I want in my life and that I want to share my life with you. Do you know? And there's so much that we can offer one another, all of us, not just me and you, everybody. Yeah. Sometimes it just starts with the handshake. That's all. And I know we're in COVID and, and work that, yeah, fist bump in the elbow. Um, when that come out, God, anyway. But it, that's all that it takes, a smile. And I'm going to use this for a long time now. Let me help you with your driving license. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Everybody, please listen. Whatever you want to do, you go and do it. Don't just keep on believing in yourself. Keep on working hard because somebody will pick you up and you will get noticed and it will take you on a journey that you will not believe. And anybody says that you were lucky. No, you weren't lucky because it doesn't. It's hard work to get to those places. It's hard work. It's determination. But we've all got it in us. Hugo's a perfect example. Hugo, thank you so much indeed. Cheers. Thank you. Everyone, thank you for listening. Please send us your feedback on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. And don't forget to review us on your favorite podcast app.